0: Welcome to Greenhouse Grower to Grower, the podcast where we talk to growers from across the greenhouse industry about market trends, innovation, their biggest challenges and opportunities, and more. I'm Brian Sparks, Senior Editor of Greenhouse Grower. Jonathan Cude is a third-generation owner of Kansas-based Sedan Floral, one of Greenhouse Grower's Top 100 Growers. If there's one thing you learn quickly when talking to Jonathan, it's that when he's confronted with a problem, he's not one to sit around and wait for a solution to present itself. Whether it's dealing with technology adoption or plant delivery challenges, he always looks for ways to drive the process forward, sometimes literally, as you'll soon learn. I caught up with Jonathan last month while he was attending the Texas Nursery and Landscape Association Expo in San Antonio. Keep listening for a candid discussion about the stories behind his self-admitted, unconventional approach to running a business. You know, I want to start by looking at you and and your own background. You know, I know that you're part of a family business and, you know, that can be certainly a challenge these days. But I know you said that you've made it to about the third generation, I think you had said. So it, in that experience, and that role that you have now, um, can you talk about really w- what you've learned from previous generations and then kind of where you're at now as as the owner of the company and what your main goals are right now? Well, our company
1: started out um servicing more or less independent garden centers. You know, grandfather started it in nineteen forty eight and um, did that very well for a number of years and the business grew grew pretty pretty quickly and and was was quite successful. Now he passed away in sixty nine. Um there was a kind of a period of time where we we were absent a leader and absent all uh, a, a direction we still kind of continued on in the early 70s and then uh my father would have taken over somewhere in the late 70s course, she would have only been 18 or 19 at the time so very very young and of course the greenhouse industry was quite quite pos- prosperous in the early 80s and sure throughout and, um, the 90s the business took kind of a different direction we still hauled into the garden centers we still yeah, I can remember back in the day they dealt with uh, Wolf Nurseries and um, all, sold a lot of plants in the South, for us, South of Kansas, um, and then that started to slowly change and more and more customers were uh, becoming kind of what you consider a chain store. Um, we started selling more and more to, at the time, I think what was the largest retailer in the world, Kmart, <laughs> that sounds kind of silly today. But... <laughs> <laughs> we were we were really big with them for a long time and um and as we all know that that sort of went uh went bad it didn't last it wasn't wasn't meant to be and um you know when, when i was in high school i worked at the greenhouse okay. at sedan floral i saw the good years when we were doing business with Kmart and and uh, and, and other in other companies, and then I saw how it, how having most of your business concentrated all in one customer could be a really bad fall. Okay. In two thousand seven, I graduated from college, and it was not pretty. Uh, when I went to college, our, the business was thriving, and when I returned from college, it was anything but thriving. It was yeah. a struggle here. And we had to, we had to come up with a different solution. Okay. So for us, we focused back on, on our roots and, and I, you know, in our, in our market area, I, I was more comfortable, felt better dealing with people I knew with other families, with other family businesses and. It took a long time. It okay. took a long time to, to earn the business back, to gain their trust, to um to let them know that, you know, hey, it's a, it's a new generation. It's a different a whole different direction. What we yeah. were doing, you know, we're not doing that anymore. And, and um well, I would say that took probably close to seven, eight years. Seven, okay. eight years to uh, uh Knocking on doors and and calling on people, trying to trying to let them give us another chance, and, and then trying to earn earn their trust and earn their respect and earn their business.
0: And, uh, I can imagine uh, that that's like a difficult conversation, both you know, for the family involved in the company, but then also for you know team members who have been there for a while too. Yeah,
1: you could say that. Um, I, I you know it was it was told to me internally, uh, from family members, uh, one in particular that, that, you know, probably the direction I was on was not going to be a successful one, okay. um, I, we're, there was a number of things I did that were almost, almost treated as blasphemy, um, you <laughs> know, and, and looking back on it, all uh, that that's probably not unrealistic That's it's probably, uh, probably fairly reasonable. Um, you know, I mean, I would have been 24 at the time. Some of the ideas I had were pretty, pretty out there, pretty, pretty crazy. Not all of them worked. Some of them did, some of them didn't. You know, the ones that worked, we continued with and the ones that didn't, we studied changed and did something different. Um, a lot of my peers in the, in the industry, you know, they, uh, maybe the other top 100 growers in America, uh, I've discussed with them our business model and strategy and. I was at a, at an event in Park City, Utah, once, and I think three or four of them just looked at me and said, man, you're crazy. You're (laughs) insane. It'll never work. It'll never work. You know, and that's been probably close to a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, what we're doing is not, uh, I doubt, seriously, it's the smartest or the best way to operate, but we've got a, a great collection of customers and their friends. Um. No one customer is bigger than seven, 8% of our total sales. Okay, And that, you know, if we ever lost a, a, a let's for instance, hypothetically say we lost our biggest customer, well, that would not be favorable, but I don't know that we would have to lay off a single customer, a single employee.
0: That seems to be like yeah. a very important model today. We've seen, you know, examples of other companies kind of fallen by the wayside because of that approach where you're, you know, more than half of your of your, um, sales are based on one customer and then when, if you lose that deal with them or for whatever reason, you know, that can be game over in some cases, I would think. And, and when I was, when I was
1: in my early twenties, I'm 40 today, when I was in my early twenties and, and I was still in school and was, you know, looking to get back in this industry, I saw that happen to a number of local growers, mm. uh, and, I, you know, I don't know if, if consciously or subconsciously it, it had an effect on me. Um, I would say today, if anything, we're probably too um, too far the opposite direction. You know, we're we're concentrating all your customers into one or two, or all your business into one or two customers might not be a good thing. We're we're probably too far the opposite direction. Um, no. I don't think we're going to change anything. I don't think we're going to stop what we're doing. Um, it, it, it just you know, it becomes a, an interesting challenge, uh, keeping 300 people happy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's a very, a very interesting challenge. Um, you know, and, and, and they're all very passionate. They're all very, uh, good at what they do. Uh, and yeah, I mean, but just think about that. How, how do you, how do how do you please, um, three hundred different people?
0: It's very, it's a unique challenge. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you you talk about how to go about you know tackling some of these issues. And you know, I look back at the the cover story that we did on you and your company last year, and you know, there's some things that really jumped out at me in that process. And I think the biggest thing was, you know, you seem to come everything, I'll come into everything from the problem solving perspective. You know, if there's an issue out there you seem like you want to jump on it right away, you know, and come up with the solution. Can you kind of talk about, you know, that mindset and, and, you know, how, how you go through that process and, and how it affects, you know, how you guys do business?
1: Well, so, uh, a a weird quirk about me was when I was a little kid, um, you know, they always say, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and I was quite adamant. Well, I was going to fly airplanes and be an aerospace engineer and run a greenhouse. And, And, you know, of course, teachers would look at you and say, "That's cute. What a weird kid." Um, and, well, that's exactly what I went and did. Um, so, you know, probably from the time I was in the first grade, or I don't know, as long as I can remember, that was the that was the game plan. Yeah, uh, I got my pilot's license in two thousand and two. I uh, graduated with aerospace mechanical engineering from Oklahoma State University in two thousand and. At december of 2006 and then went straight 14 days later back to the family business in an horticulture growing in a wholesale greenhouse wow uh, so not a lot of not a lot of uh wandering in my path as to what i was going to do I, I sort of set out early on and well i guess i'm just boring and did it so when i when i look at problems yeah I, I, it's it's true i don't i don't come at the horticultural problems from uh from, from the horticultural standpoint, to me, it's an engineering problem. It's just problem solving, um, sometimes boringly so. Um, we're we're very prone to be very very passionate and and have beliefs, and I and sometimes you know our beliefs in in horticulture or in our businesses they're false. They're they're based on a, they're based on emotional arguments more than than. The hard, cold truth of the reality, okay. and and sometimes that, and, I, and by no means. If I like, you know, I'm I'm not the the expert on that. We we I, I make all kinds of mistakes all the time. Sure, and and you know, the best thing we can do is just try to learn from them. Try to slow down and stop, and you know, look at well, where did we go wrong? What what? Where did we have our our information wrong? Or or what was the strategy? How did it? Why did it fail? And we just try to do it better, just try to, you know so so often it, it sounds like we're focusing solely on problems mm. and that can be sometimes negative and 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 uh, and it shouldn't be really the heart of focusing on the problems is simply trying to eliminate them, trying to fix them, trying to make them better yeah uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm an engineer trapped in a in a greenhouse <laughs> and, and i've been i've been mocked and ridiculed at, at a number of times i remember going to uh, cultivate or, and you know people said well what are you going to do calculate the wind resistance on a flat of begonias?" and maybe yeah yeah why not <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of funny because in our propagation house uh, changing the airflow stopped a whole lot of fungal issues yeah so it's uh uh, and in some ways I kind of laugh and, and smile. Uh, it, it's, it's weird um, how much engineering does go into the plants, whether you, whether you want to admit it or not, it, it's a lot. Um, yeah.
0: You know, and it's, it's just probably, And I think about too, you know, your, your engineering mindset, how that translates to how you approach, you know, something like automation and and where and how to add new technology. How does that kind of to factor into your decision-making process,
1: well, it's um, it's the big part of it. Uh, you know, your your previous podcast uh, with Van Wigertons, I mean, their their big mantra is, uh, I believe, I believe he's known to say, "Automate or stagnate." Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think there's a lot of truth to that. the The methodology with which we automate, I think, differs in in my experience for us. We've been very, very fortunate to have a very, very good team, uh, a very efficient team, a very hardworking team, mm-hmm. and we've had robotic transplanters. Our guys simply, our guys and gals are simply able to outpace the robot uh, day in, day out. Okay. If we had a a, a workforce that was new and different every year. Or maybe not very well motivated. I think the, the the robotic transplanting machines and that sort of automation for transplanting is is huge, and we would probably we would probably have the latest and greatest machines. Okay. And maybe someday we will. Maybe someday we will. Uh, we've got a wonderful crew, many of which have been with us for for ten plus years, and I mean, I just I cannot see how the machine would go faster than what they're able to do especially with grading and sorting and and so you know today as it currently stands we we do a lot of things by hand okay and and we'll automate where where it makes sense uh we we use uh seeding machines from Blackmore they're wonderful wonderful people wonderful company um we you know, we think that's great automation, um, moving products throughout the greenhouse. Again, we've got all kinds of, um, cards that we use to move the products in and out and throughout yeah. the greenhouse. We think that's a, that's wonderful. Um, so it really, it just comes down to what the task is and, and, and how we, we put it together. If, um, if we're able, and this could change. I mean, so, so, and that's the other thing that just because this is how we're doing it today yeah, has no bearing on what might happen in a year from now or two years from now. If the rules change, the situation changes, well, <laughs> we're not going to, we're not going to just be stuck in our old ways. I mean, we'll change, we'll adapt, we'll modify what we're doing to, uh, to meet the challenge. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. We've, in some ways, it looks like we're a little bit dated in our techniques, but but I don't I don't know I don't see it that way. Okay,
0: maybe I'm and <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I I could be wrong. Well, I mean, and you said earlier. I mean, everybody's approach is different, and just you know, you doing things if if it's a different way doesn't mean it's the wrong way. I mean, you're trying something new and and taking an approach that best works for your company and then, you know, how you approach leadership of that company, it all kind of goes hand in hand, I think. Um, and we are,
1: we are always, always, always focused on, on driving out wasteful, wasteful steps. Right. My, the, at the end of the day, the goal is to make the work easier, to make the work, uh, I, I, I easier. Yeah, basically that's the bottom line. You just simplify it. Um, anything that eats up time, eats up patches, try to just really step back and say, do we need to do that? Should we be doing that? Um, I have no, no desire to make the job any more laborious than it has to be. Um, again, it's just, how do we get there? through through what mechanism? And, um, I could probably cut the number of people down a little bit with, for instance, robotic transplanting, mm-hmm. but then you know we would turn around and need need those people back to for loading or for shipping or for uh, maintenance of the crops. So there's, it's really it's a, it's a complex problem to solve.
0: Well, and you hear a lot of growers talking about you know when the issue comes up of you know if if I'm adding automation, am I does that mean you know you're going to lose people? And that's what well, you said this, the same thing that we hear, and it's 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 not about you know reducing the number of people necessarily. It's about make, about moving people to places where it makes most sense for them to work. So as you said, if you can move somebody off of one area into another where there were a, a physical body is needed more, I would think that that would make sense as well. Absolutely. I'm trying to constantly
1: figure out how we can create more value for every hour of our day. Um, and it, and it, it's weird. You know, I used to think Years ago, I used to think, well, that would be the surefire way to to run an efficient business to make more money. Uh, you know, we got to be efficient, and it's kind of strange. But if if you can, if you can be more efficient and, and utilize the time and the resources better, there's a greater opportunity for the employees to make more money. Yeah. And you know, there's I, I kind of did look back through the, the the history of of our company. Over a long, long horizon, like say over the last 20, 30 years, yeah. and certain numbers always were present. The the amount of revenue and the amount of of wages we paid, those numbers were were pretty consistent. And when we looked at our really, really good years, when when things were best and people were happiest, and what the percent of of Every dollar we bring in, you know, a certain percent of it will go to, to materials, to heating, to labor, uh, to the future, to profit, you know, to uh, bonuses, everything. When we looked at it, mm-hmm. uh, if we're, we're working a lot of hours but not accomplishing a lot of productivity, yeah, it's going to be very hard to pay uh, the employees a, a, a living wage or a good wage. But if we can be very, very efficient. All of a sudden that becomes very easy yeah and so you know i i just see nothing but positives if we can if we can work smart work efficient work fast uh, the the ability the ability to pay an ever higher wage becomes easier and then to to use the excess uh resources maybe we invest it back in the company for efficiencies and savings those are win-wins yeah. um, but if we simply work more hours to get the same job done well at, at those it actually those start becoming the negatives start stacking up and but it, it's hard i mean that's some uh i don't know at times you almost say man that's some far out that's some far out deep stuff it's fairly simple and straightforward but it's it's hard to get everybody to to see it believe it and really understand it but it's it's true um
0: well and you talk about efficiency but i remember too reading back on your story again you know there was a point where you know labor is always the biggest challenge that we hear but more and more so trucking and shipping and logistics you know the fact that you went out and decided okay if we're having issues i'm going to just drive these delivery trucks myself can you can you talk about that and just you're know, really within that you know, that challenge anything else that you might have come up with as a solution to you know getting the product to the the customer on time
1: well if you you could have the best flowers in the world in your greenhouse but if you can't get them to the to the to the customer to the garden center uh, it's worthless yeah. and even if you get them to the garden center if they've been shook around or or dry or they come off the truck all messed up well then it it was for naught and and and, you know we've had the challenges everybody has challenges with quality you could have a beautiful hanging basket in the greenhouse you get it to the customers lost 10 or 20 percent of its quality Mm -hmm. and um so i I, in 2013 or 14 i got my cdl license Um, one of our longtime drivers uh helped train me so mike murphy was with us for better part of 30 years and and he he was brave enough to ride in the passenger seat as I drove the semi-tractor trailer, 53-foot truck and trailer, up <laughs> and down the highway learning to drive. And and, and so I, I, you know, I got my SEAL license. Uh, initially, it was simply so I could legally move trailers around property and, and be uh, an insurance policy, the last resort, to get a, a load delivered if something came up. Yeah. So there was really no intention of... Of being a, a truck driver if you will it was just simply like hey if the flowers got to go i can i can make that happen if it if it comes to it hmm. well that, you know how things start <laughs> <laughs> and, and what what it was like well that was all good and, and, and well and fine but then you know bit by bit um driving became more and more a part of it well you know if it's kind of like well, where where is the the war being waged? Well, the war is being waged at the front lines, and where are the front lines in in our business? Well, they're they're at the at the garden center where where the consumer is buying the products. What what good is it going to do? What can I possibly learn in Sudan? Right. Seeing, you know, I'm a small town, small community, maybe a thousand people. Um, if I only see things from my viewpoint it's going to be a one-sided conversation and getting out there, uh, you know, seeing the stuff as it rolls off the truck, talking with the customer, see all of a sudden, we started identifying all kinds of problems that were, were annoying to the customer that we had no idea about. Oh yeah. Maybe there was a count issue or a quality issue, or, you know, I ordered, I ordered yellow and I got red or, you know, or something like that. Well, if the customer wasn't giving us that feedback, we, we thought job well done. Yeah. And once you start delivering your own product, you start kind of thinking, well, we're, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were, <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it all is not lost. It gives a perfect opportunity to see exactly where the problems are. And then you can start, start solving them. So when we're, when I've been today, I mean, we run a pretty tight ship and we've got a great team and. You know so the day in day out problems that we we had 10 15 years ago we've got a lot of those problems resolved yeah so' we're, we're hunting for them and and in that area uh, logistics that final mile was was an issue so so getting out there has go, has kind of transformed from being a um a necessity like I've got to drive this truck or else the flowers don't get delivered to This allows me to bring back all kinds of information back to the office, back to the team and say, yeah, here's what I encountered. Here's what we need to work on. Here's what we need to do differently. New ideas, new items. Uh, It puts us out in the market, puts me out in the market. And I I like that. In 2021, yeah, that was the year we we had a real challenge. Mm. I I think it was close to twelve thousand miles I drove a semi tractor trailer that spring alone. So that would oh, have wow. been March, April, May. That's too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it was good seeing the customers, and, and 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 that was great. But that that was probably too too much. Um, I, I, at that at that point, I was just simply uh, a truck driver. So we we. Um, we purchased some more box trucks and, and made some changes and, and, and got more help going that direction and, uh, ha- have been able to grow the business in the last three years quite a bit Yeah, and still retain the ability to get product out really fast. Um, and that's something was pretty key to us. You know, we, I don't mind getting bigger provided all of the core values that we have we're, we're still able to meet yeah and if we start slip and then it's kind of time to pump the brakes and you know ask do we really need to get bigger can we really handle it um I, I think the team has been able to handle it and um and it's been good but so i don't know again it's just an example of um we were trying to solve one problem years ago it morphs into something different, sure. And then the, the what comes of it is just—it's just wild to think how getting your CDL license in 2013 to be a, a backup driver changes how you look at at shipping and and sol- and allows you to be able to solve a number of problems um, as it comes to delivering. And oh yeah, I think I don't know. I, I I suppose you could say I'm biased. I probably am, but I think we have probably some of the best drivers in in the industry and that that's probably a very uh a very biased and very braggadocious comment but i I really do believe it and and i think if we could ask the customers i I think they would agree um yeah great great group great team um um i know they're the face of our company you know
0: yeah and well, and then approach to, you think, I mean, you hear a lot about leading by example. I mean, this is not just you just, you know, sitting in an office all day long and just saying here, you know, go do this and do that. I mean, this is you stepping out and, you know, being directly involved in here's a problem. You know, I'm not just going to ask somebody else to solve it. I'm going to get in there and figure out a way to be a part of that solution, you know, in, in, in different ways.
1: It, it's, if you see it firsthand, you
0: know it's not theoretical.
1: It's, it's real. Um, and there was a number of, of customers, you know, they, something as simple as how do you, how do you actually get a truck into their parking lot? Well, years ago, I mean, we would just sort of write a map and, and then, and I say years ago, I'm talking maybe 20 years ago, we'd almost act like the, the drivers were, um, were somehow just incompetent because they couldn't figure out how to, how to make a delivery? What do you mean, make it? You know, and huh. well, uh, when you're out there, and, and and you know, I don't, I don't. When I go out there, I don't, I don't introduce myself as Jonathan, CEO of Sedan Floral or whatever. Like you know, I'm just, I'm just the guy driving the truck, <laughs> and and it's it's interesting how people treat drivers. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, the dynamic. Um, I think the industry gets a lot of bad rep. the tri- The driving industry gets a lot of bad rep. Maybe sometimes deservedly so. Maybe sometimes not. Mm-hmm. And, um. But, but going back to the office and saying, "Well, well, guys, look, this is the challenge. You're putting a, a a vehicle that's 75 foot long from end to end into a space that can barely barely hold it. Yeah. And then when we when we leave, we got to black back out of there uh, blind. Across four lanes of traffic, and I just I said just put yourself in their perspective and ask yourself, y- you ready for that? And there are times, I mean, there are times when we're when we're making a delivery, we have to commandeer. I can think of one in Norman, Oklahoma. I'm I'm at an intersection, a four-way intersection on a busy stretch of road, and I and I have to basically turn the truck perpendicular to four lanes of traffic and back into a narrow parking lot. Oh, jeez and you know and it's a blind back so it's it's you know you get you, you can't really see what you're doing yeah. and um you know w- w- having having empathy and appreciation for the drivers is key understanding what what they go through to get in there sometimes it's way 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 more in depth than what we see but then we come back and make notes yeah. and then we can help those drivers we can tell them look um at this spot come at it from the north come out from the south um here's what you're going to have to do. So get ready for it. And that kind of stuff. Again, it's just, it's just problem
0: solving. Um, but so as you, as you look towards the future, I mean, what really excites you, but then we talked a lot about challenges so far. Um, but what excites you about, you know, the future of both sedan floral and then for the industry as a whole? Oh boy. Um, the last three
1: years have been have been super super stressful. Mm. Uh, going into 2020, I was really optimistic because it seemed like people that were in their early 20s were very in tune to to uh, outdoor living and 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 and, and greenhouse stuff. Okay. It seemed to be in vogue. It seemed to be so that I thought that was exciting because not today. Today they didn't have a house, they didn't have a job, they were still in school, but they were—you could just tell—they were going to be a part of of outdoor living, you know—and that that was exciting. Um, so in the last three years, you know, you lose sight of all that uh, when we dealt with COVID and all the changes, and then the 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 big um, 21 was 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 a really good year, but then all the supply chain issues that go after that, and you you yeah. just you're just shell-shocked from it's like what next man you know, <laughs> every every step of the way it seems like there's some existential threat that's going to wipe us out yeah uh it's like oh boy great year, but if you don't have a plastic pot then then uh it's all or not it's not going to matter because there's no containers you know and, and then it's um it's just always one thing after another one thing after another it seems like um so it is. It's been it's been challenging. We get so focused on, on the problems of the last two or three years, and we're kind of forgetting that I I really think there's a, a huge segment of society that's going to start showing up at our doorsteps in the in the in the next four five six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, it translates into a lot of uh, flower sales in all in all aspects. In you know, in annuals, perennials, trees, shrubs, just just you know kind of more of a we're not a priority you know yeah. and 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 people my age for the longest time i remember ball doing surveys and i think it was dr marvin miller you know said people that today are like between 40 and 50 man they were in the cell phones and TVs not really going outside and working in the dirt yeah and and so they kind of viewed them as a as a lost generation uh, of gardeners and that was kind of a big open you know Problem, but but even even people uh, again in that current age bracket between forty and fifty seem to be getting back into it. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of of opportunity if we can get people more excited about about what we do in our industry. You know, again, I I don't want to just speak on annuals. But I'm thinking anything and everything that has to do with any living plant that might go into somebody's backyard, or front yard, or whatever. Yeah. And I, I, we travel a lot. Uh, my wife and I, we travel a, an awful lot. And we see different communities where gardening is forefront. Uh, if we When we went up to Minnesota, you, you know, hostas and, and flowers in everybody's front yard, and it was really amazing. We don't have that so much where I'm from and i don't know i've always kind of thought maybe 5% of the of the population in, in our area truly garden or, or commit any time to their backyard or front yard i mean there might don't be probably some people that hang a basket out front you know that might yeah. be 20% but how many people truly truly care about gardening to some part of their life it's very small very very small so it's like what what would be a really optimistic or a really hopeful thing for the future well getting that number higher I, I doubt seriously we'll ever get fifty or sixty or ninety percent of people to uh, to garden. But my word, you know, if my numbers were correct, and five percent are gardeners today, what about ten percent? Yeah, I mean, we we wouldn't know what to do with the business. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, um, and and our industry is still teeny tiny. I wonder if you look at the total production of, of ornamental bedding plants, and you look at the the dollars in um, how oh, the, the 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 trends are are, are funny. Like uh, how much dollars do we spend on roses at Valentine's Day? <laughs> I, I I knew of a of a, a a grocery store chain, and and I believe the number was like twenty million dollars worth of roses. And all spring, they managed to sell two or $3 million worth of betting bets. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm just, and the only thing I'm taking away from that is, are we really that insignificant? You know, we, we go to cultivate, we go to the trade shows. We all feel like we're really important and we're really doing something, but are we, um, just if you want a really bad one, look at how much Americans spend on Halloween costumes every year. Oh yeah, and then look at what they spend on on bedding plants or
0: or shrubs or trees. Oh, That's a great point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, where where
1: are where are our priorities? I I think yeah. there's great hope. It's not it's not to be like uh, disappointed and 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 doom and gloom and say, oh geez, we're spending more money on Halloween costumes than we are on 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 our back, back patios, but look at the opportunity that's, that's there. We could, yeah. if if we could change the paradigm, if we could change the viewpoint, holy
0: cow, it would be, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and as you talk about that excitement, so I, I mean, I guess the last question that I have is, you know, excitement about plants. So what's your favorite plant right now? What's something that you guys are growing as a company that, you know, you're saying to yourself, okay, we need to have that, you know, at our own home, you know, bring it <laughs> home. Well, that's that's the that's the the challenge.
1: So I'm I I get to I get to, you know, solve all kinds of mechanical problems and strategy problems. (laughs) And and a number of years ago, I I started looking and I said, you know, I got like eight crayons in my crayon box. When I when I look at at a a plant, I see, okay we got pink red purple, white blue. But but the gals in the office, you know, Allie and Crystal, they come back to me and say, "No, no, 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 no. You've got rose and blush and pink and and I'm just looking at them like you're crazy. This just pink, pink and other pink, pink <laughs> and more. Pink. You know, so so I I basically stepped aside and I said, you know, tell you what, you guys you guys figure that out, um, and then I'll I'll do whatever I can to make it happen and And, um, so when it comes to picking the plants, there's not so much what, what I see or myself personally, um, but what the, what the, what the gals in the office are able to work with the customers and figure out that's, that's where we're going. We're also very receptive to listen. Uh, Um, one of the biggest challenges we see is certain people love a certain plant. personal reasons emotional reasons oh i've got this i've got this one plant and i think it's just great they just they just fall in love with it and that's and that's wonderful but unless a whole bunch of people in america fall in love with it too i don't i don't see any value in it yeah to me it's not it's not the thing that that I love. That's important. It does. What? What is? What? What is the plant that everybody else loves? That that, that that's going to get excited for? And that's what we're hunting for. And, and I know that's a very vague. And I'm dodging directly <laughs> the question you're asking. Um, but, but we don't have. We don't just have one one unique plant. Um, we have whole collections of plants. You know, herbs have been very strong the last couple of years. Don't completely understand it, but we love it. Um, and we keep putting more of that, trying to figure out where and how and why, uh, and, and we just keep working with the feedback from the garden centers. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't know that there's one, one plant that's going to be the the right answer. It's going to be a series of plants. And, and I really don't know if it's going to be us in the, in the, uh, greenhouse, that's going to be the deciding Person for it, I, I think a lot of what needs to happen is we need to go out to the end consumers and figure out truly really what is it they want. W- what is the hangup? What's you know? I don't think we're asking them the right question. We keep saying well, what's the best plant? What's the what's the best genetics? What's the best habit? The best um, you know bloom. I mean, we've got breeders working on taking. Um, uh, the kind of the 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 whiskers in pansy blotches out to make it clearer a clearer yellow or something you know, I, I remember I remember talking with the people at Syngenta about that on on some pansies, and it, and it's like but man the number one question I keep getting uh, from from in consumers is like sun or shade or do I have to water this every day and I kind of wonder if maybe at some point we need to step back and and ask you know is is a new plant really the the deciding factors to whether or not we're going to be successful in the future. It's a part of it. Or should we be trying to figure out what is the barrier for the other 50,
0: 60% of Americans who don't garden at all? Why not? Thanks for joining us. You can learn more at greenhousegrower.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen.